In the endocrine work and working with diabetics, we stumbled upon some protocols that were great for reversing diabetes. And we saw large amounts of radical waste loss. So not always a big deal for weight loss, but radical waste loss in people. And over time, we saw that it corresponded with beneficial changes in liver function and that the waste loss would last well for them. So what we realized is that for a subset of people who struggle with weight, the issue is that their liver's not working right. Hello everyone, Dr. Anna Kabeca here for Couch Talk, and today I'll be talking about thyroid health and metabolism. I know that many women often come to me complaining of weight gain, especially around menopause and with hormone changes, and we always want to blame our thyroid, but sometimes it goes beyond our thyroid. So it's been, it's been a busy few months for me. As you know, I've been releasing my book and have had the opportunity and blessing to travel and to meet and talk with so many people. And it's always a delight when I get to speak with another clinician who is also a book author and really sharing knowledge. So today I've I am bringing you my dear friend, Dr. Alan Christensen, who is a naturopathic doctor and a thyroid expert. He's also a sports enthusiast and has the gift of really being a fabulous clinician, bringing many integrative techniques to his office from cold uh, nitrogen therapy to IV vitamins and hormonal therapy, and especially with his expertise in thyroid. He has a book coming out called The Metabolism Reset, and it is surely to be a New York Times bestseller, really hoping so for him. Enjoy this interview. We hit on some really great pearls about testing for our thyroid, causes of thyroid disease, as well as things we need to really understand as far as the difference between Hashimoto's and being hypothyroid. I look forward to your feedback. Again, always please share this interview and share this information with your friends and let me know how you like what you hear. For all our listeners and viewers that are coming on Facebook Live, I'm excited to have you here today and to join in. We're going to talk about a a topic that is really important to me and my community, and it's all about thyroid health. And so with that, I brought on Dr. Alan Christensen, a longtime friend and colleague. I mean, I've known Alan for nearly 10 years now. and. Yeah, and it's been a long time. And uh, we met up in the mountains of Idaho or somewhere, wasn't it, Alan? Right, that's exactly right. <laughs> so brought together with our, by our mutual friend, JJ Virgin, and have been friends ever since. And so Alan is the thyroid expert. He's a naturopathic doctor, and he is a doctor's doctor. He has brought in so much integrative philosophy and, and, and skill, as well as, I mean, just great clinical acumen, just clinical observation and ability to help individuals on a very personal level. So Alan, I'm pleased to see you here. Tell our audience a little bit about you, more about you and all the books you've authored and your recent book that's coming out is The Metabolism Reset. And I'm excited about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first and foremost, I'm a really big Annika Becca fan. Super, super happy to be with you. Any reason to hang out is a good reason. So naturopathic endocrinologist, like you said, like a lot of us, I came into this trying to sort out my own health struggles and was able to do so 
more or less, you know, pleased with that and just realize what a big deal it is when you're not feeling your best and how tough that can be. And so, yeah, it's a great path and honored to be on this path with you of helping others clarify those things. Well, and I'm glad to have you here. One of the questions I get so often is the difference between thyroid, like not everyone who is hypothyroid is Hashimoto's and not everyone who is Hashimoto's is hypothyroid. So let's, let's talk about that. Explain, explain the difference and share that information. I see one of our magic menopause ladies, Roberta is on. I just want to shout out to Roberta. So thank you for joining us, Roberta, and everyone else who's listening and watching. Hey, Roberta, how you doing? Hey, so yeah, so hypothyroidism, think about that. You're going down the freeway, the cars are moving along 65 miles an hour, and your car can't go past 40. So that's hypothyroidism. That's a car that's going too slow. And that's a gland. It has a lot of effects. We can talk more about that. But hypothyroidism just means that it's underactive. So imagine now back in that scenario, maybe your car ran out of gas. You know, maybe the Maybe the engine's failing, but running out of gas could be one cause of a car running too slow. And in this case, Hashimoto's can be one of the causes of hypothyroidism. And it's probably the most common cause by far, but yeah, the gland can slow for other reasons. And you could have, you could be low on gas, but have your car not yet slow down, or maybe the car is going to make it to the gas tank. So you can have Hashimoto's and not have your thyroid slow, and you can have a slow thyroid and not have Hashimoto's. So let's talk about some of those other reasons that we can have a slow thyroid. To be honest, there's not a lot. They're not very common. And main things we think about would be the gland being removed surgically, completely or partially due to nodules, calcifications, cancer. There's some medications that slow it also. And in many cases, they slow it because they trigger Hashimoto's, but in some cases, they slow it just directly. They're not commonly used, but they are out there. So lithium is one also amiodarone, a cardiac medication, and a couple of others in some cases can slow it. There were times more common in the past where people would have their necks irradiated for tonsillitis, so that that can do it too, but those are not that common. So now Hashimoto's, it's an autoimmune attack, and the reason that there's a lot of difficulties between saying who for sure has it is that many who have it don't have simple to detect signs. You know, not everyone has measurable antibodies. So, so yeah, the vast majority of hypothyroidism is caused by Hashimoto's unless there's some other obvious cause. You know, when we're talking about Hashimoto's and, and hypothyroidism, let's talk about testing because that is something I'd love to talk about. I know you talk about it in your book. I talk about it in my book and, and just the importance of testing for determining, okay, well, well, what is going on? Why is, you know, is my thyroid underactive? What do those numbers really mean? And what are all the numbers I should look at? Because we know in our standard medical community that predominant testing for thyroid, is it underactive, overactive? Is it doing what you should do? Is the TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone test? And now that can be affected by so many other hormones in our body as well. And so we need to look a little deeper than the TSH. So you explain it better than anyone I know, Alan. So please. Well, the TSH is how much your brain asks your thyroid to work. And when things work correctly, it's a backward gauge on your thyroid performance. So imagine like you've got workers who are, you know, maybe they're inherently lazy. And if they're not being yelled at, they're going to goof around and be on Facebook or something. So you can tell how hard they're working by how loud the boss is yelling. You know, if the boss is totally quiet, they must be doing a really good job. They're working hard, maybe even too hard. But if the boss is screaming, you know, they're going pretty slow. So that's what the TSH is. It's a backwards thing. Now, 
some cases people think about the vagrancies of it and they want to ignore it altogether. And the pitfall is that when it is way out of range either side, it does predict a lot of health changes, good and bad. So we, we can't ignore it. But the normal range is really broad and the normal range doesn't perfectly apply to healthy people. You know, it's an average of scores for those who've been tested for thyroid disease. And lots of papers have shown that healthy people have scores that are in the normal range, but in the lowest part of the normal range only. And that's interesting because our, you know, endocrinology society says if we're on thyroid replacement, we want it in this optimal range. But yet that that optimal range is really where we want our thyroid hormones to be in general, correct? Right. Yeah. So the thought is, what's the best level to say whether or not someone has thyroid problems if they're not on treatment? And then if they are on treatment, where should they be? And those are all different. And the problem is that the range has been averaged from people who are tested. And if you think this through, the people that get tested, you know, no one wakes up and says, hey, I feel great. I'm going to go get my thyroid tested five times today. <laughs> that doesn't happen. So people that get tested the most often, they are more prone to have thyroid disease and they're more prone to have symptomatic thyroid disease. So when you take them out and you find people that have no clear thyroid issues and no clear symptoms, then we find the range is really low and narrow. To be precise for your listeners, normal ranges are usually between about 0.45, 0.4, up to about four and a half or five and a half. But when you pull out people with thyroid problems, it looks more a lot like, like 0.5 to like 1.9. That's a more typical spectrum for healthy people. And looking at free thyroid hormones, so free T4, free T3, and then thyroid antibodies to determine Hashimoto's, what else should we be looking at? You know, those are all important. There's many other markers that exist, and many of the other blood markers don't always add too much more, but there's structural screening, which is important. People with thyroid disease are at higher risk for thyroid cancer and thyroid structural complications. And I swear not, not a month goes by in our practice to where we don't find someone that has hidden thyroid cancer that's significant. So, so yeah, they should be screened with ultrasounds. They're, they're very commonly underutilized, but they're part of that because also in figuring out someone's best scores, the structure of the thyroid is relevant for that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really important. Now, I think we're seeing more thyroid cancers than any. Um, I know I didn't see them so much in my residencies or, you know, at training at Emory even. And thyroid cancer wasn't something that was in our top of our diagnosis, but now it is when we have thyroid and we're palpating for nodules, doing ultrasounds. And I think that's really important. So I want to emphasize that if someone's been diagnosed with a thyroid disorder, it's not enough to simply do a palpable thyroid hormone, you know, thyroid test. We need to do a thyroid ultrasound. Now, Alan, I've got to regress a little bit. And when I did my endocrinology as a medical student, I rotated through Cook County in Chicago, the just really most fabulous inner city hospital that ever that has ever existed, right? There was gunshots in the emergency room, gunshots outside, I mean, and thyroid disorders that would come in. So I learned the palpable thyroid, like being able to palpate. I saw goiters like this. Now we don't see it so much. I mean, we're so astute and, and are, uh, we're able to do lab tests much more frequently. But at that point, you know, the symptoms of, of hypo and hyperthyroid, the drooping of the eyelids, the slow reflexes, the slower talk, the hair loss that we associate with hypothyroid. Let's talk about some of those symptoms as well. 
Yeah, for sure. There's there's many. And a couple of nuances. One thing I think a lot about, there was the thing called the Colorado Thyroid Prevalence Study. And this was 98 or 2000. They tracked a large number of people at various health fairs and they did detailed symptom questionnaires and they also just pulled blood panels on them. And what they saw is that some symptoms were better predictors of thyroid disease than others. And what was interesting is that they asked about many symptoms in two ways. Like you mentioned uh, hair loss, like they would ask about are you prone to hair loss or are you prone to more hair loss? You know, hoarse voice or hoarser voice. And so one little distinction about when symptoms are related to thyroid function, there's often some, some change in their arc. You know, we've all had things that we've struggled with long-term and those by definition become a little less suspicious. But if you say, you know, this was never really a big thing for me before, but ever since last November, my skin is like crazy, crazy dry. That's suspicious when there's a time frame in which it changed. So that was one thing. Another little nuance in that study is that there's a lot of possible symptoms, but there was no, no exclusionary symptoms. There's no symptoms you would have to have. So people often think, huh, well, I'm tired. Maybe my thyroid's a problem, but it must not be because I'm not gaining weight. doesn't work that way. There's no symptoms that have to go with it. There's many that can go with it. And most people don't have a large number of symptoms. So if you've ever thought, it must not be that because I don't have X, that's not how it works. So yeah, the hoarseness of voice, difficulty swallowing, you mentioned about the hair loss, the drier skin, weight struggles, uh, muscle pain, migraines are actually pretty high up on there, digestive issues like IBS. Those are some of the top ones. And, and yeah, you, you wouldn't have all of them. Some people have a lot, but that's less common. It's most difficult to have one, two, or three of those. Yeah. And it's really good to say, because we talk about weight gain, right? Especially midlife weight gain. We're like, okay, it's got to be my thyroid, hair loss. It's got to be my thyroid. And lo and behold, you know, more times than not, it's it's not the thyroid. I, I want to talk about that because, you know, one of the things that is, is my big platform is, is that it takes more than hormones to fix our hormones, right? Because if that wasn't the case, everyone on thyroid supplements would be thin. Well, we know that's not the case, right? <laughs> so, so that goes deeper into the metabolism. And your new book, The Metabolism Reset, is, on, is about that. So please, please share with us a little bit more in depth, like how do we restart, re-kick our metabolism and go beyond thyroid? And I will talk about thyroid replacement too. So I'll get back to that. And we do have a question. Actually, before we go, let's go ahead and answer a question from our audience. So Nancy wrote in, she said, I went into menopause at the age of 35 due to neurosarcoid, which caused me to be on about 24 different medications a day, also on an infusion of Remicade, methotrexate, and large doses of prednisone. And she asked, could this have messed with my thyroid? Had you said, could this have messed with my ex? It could have been almost anything. There's, there's not that that could not have affected. You had, you had quite, a, quite a rough patch there. I'm sorry to hear that. But for sure, that could have affected your, your thyroid health and many other facets of your body's regulation. So, so yeah, check that stuff out. Yeah. And so full panels of thyroid. And we talked about, you know, just complete thyroid testing, looking at antibodies, TSH, free T4, free T3, thyroid peroxidase antibodies, antithyroglobulin antibodies. What am I missing? Thyroglobulin, just by itself, there's mm -hmm. thyroglobulin and antithyroglobulin. So thyroglobulin is a nice adjunct for gauging the structure of the gland. Perfect. Good. 
All right. So then let's let's talk about if we're struggling with metabolism and with like whether we've been on thyroid or not been on thyroid, how do we kick that metabolism? Talk about why you wrote this book. Because we've had you've had many books on thyroid and you found a real need to go deeper. So tell us about that, Alan. You know, in the endocrine work and working with diabetics, we stumbled upon some protocols that were great for reversing diabetes. And we saw large amounts of radical waste loss. So not always a big deal for weight loss, but radical waste loss in people. And over time, we saw that it corresponded with beneficial changes in liver function and that the waste loss would last well for them. So what we realized is that for a subset of people who struggle with weight, the issue is that their liver is not working right. I think about like your body being able to to generate energy, to, to turn your fuel into energy almost like you've got two stores of fuel in the liver. I think about one as being like logs and one as being kindling. It's like triglycerides and glycogen. And a healthy liver can use kindling to ignite the logs. Now you've got nice steady energy for a long period of time. But in some cases, there's too much logs, too little kindling. And that can lead to overt problems like fatty liver, but short of it being an obvious disease state, it can make it to where the, the weight, and specifically the weight in the organs, not even just around the organs, the belly fat, but the weight in the liver is just locked on. So yeah, it was a way to reverse all that. So talk about how we do that. You know, the idea with this and for this population, it's a kind of a tricky tightrope to walk. So the trick is we want to lower the fuel intake overall. So the body is, is motivated to tap into its own stores of triglyceride. But what we're doing that there can be a breakdown of a lot of stored wastes. There can be you know, uric acid that's circulating. So it's a stressful time for the liver. So the trick is during, for this subset of the population, not to just have nothing coming in, but have a low enough amount of fuel so the body taps into those stores, but then supply the liver with what it needs to rebuild that kindling and also the building blocks it needs to detoxify and heal itself. So one of the things that you know really um, opened my eyes to functional medicine was starting to implement detoxification regimens when I was in my practice. So when clients would come in with their myriad of symptoms and high levels of fatigue, decre- you know, decreased energy, memory loss, mood swings, I mean, constipation, I may name it. The first thing that I did was support their liver with nutrition support, like milk thistle, vitamin C, and different other herbs that are my favorite. Of course, maca and grains and quercetin and turmeric. So combinations of these things to support phase one and phase two detoxification. And what I noticed and what happened when they come in back into my office for their lab results, it would be like, oh, you know, Dr. Anna, I'm 90% better. I'm like, okay, well, I haven't even prescribed you one thing yet. Do you know, like, how does that work? So it's so true. And talk about the burden our livers are are facing right now. And and I want to hit back on thyroid because we were talking about thyroid nodules and goiters and, and cancers, and we're seeing a higher increase. And that's the toxicity. There's toxicity that is a huge component of that. So I tell my clients, like, let's take off the makeup. And if we're using any makeup or skincare, it's got to be really natural, but, you know, try to go without for the majority of the time. Don't you think all those toxins in our skincare are affecting our thyroid? You know, for sure. There's data that over 300 different chemicals can be disruptors for thyroid function. The gland is unique in that it has really intense concentrators to pull in a couple of minerals for its purposes. And that doesn't really work like that elsewhere in the body. And the drawback is those concentrators, 
don't know not to pull in a lot of toxins that can be in circulation. So a lot of wastes can be in levels in your thyroid that are far higher than they are anywhere else. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite liver supports and your recommendation to additionally support the liver supplement wise and as well the dietary, right? A, a low, a caloric restricted diet. Yeah. And we think about, you know, I've pulled out the idea of calories and I think about like fuel as being a distinct subset of that. So the body has a lot of types of nutrients that all break down to chemically oxaloacetate and they're all forms of fuel. And if there's too much fuel in the liver, it can't really process anymore. So the trick is to give it a break from that. But then we see things like resistant starch or certain categories of fibers or protein, and they can work in different ways. And yet they could still fall under the heading of calories. So we think about more of a low fuel, but then adequate amount of supportive nutrients at the same time. And that's, that's the balancing act. <laughs> that, that is a balancing act and can't emphasize enough, again, how supporting the liver and detoxing and then again, this juggle, especially so many, so often we've really destroyed our metabolism, but it's always repairable, isn't it, Alan? Are there any of us out there that have like this failed metabolism or struggling and they're like, oh, there's no help for me. I've been this way for so long. You know, we never want to say never, right? But uh, the book comes down to a 20-day program. A lot of folks have been like the first week of that even. And we commonly see two, three, four inches come off in just a week. And then a lot of common changes about like triglycerides, blood pressure, blood sugar, you know, reversals of diabetes, all that stuff. But what's been exciting to see is that people's symptoms and their measurements of inflammation have been plummeting as well. So chronic Epstein-Barr or like autoimmune thyroiditis or chronic inflammatory arthritis. We see all these things where people are saying, hey, look, my numbers have changed. I'm feeling radically different in the first week. And what I've come to realize is that those adipocytes, those fat cells and the adipokines that they make, they can be among the largest drivers of inflammation in the whole body. So when the toxic fat trapped inside the liver comes down, so many systemic symptoms that I wouldn't have guessed before seeing all this can, can get better. So yeah, it's really cool. Well, I think that's great. And your work is always on the cutting edge and just so clinically relevant. You know, there's just only so much that that we can do in our medical offices. But this, what I love is that with, with all your work, you're empowering the individual to take charge of their health and to do these um, interventions that really make sense and can help. So I appreciate that. Roberta asked a question. Alan, so I want to share this question. She says, oh boy, this is a really timely discussion because I ha her thyroid numbers have gone wacky. So she says her free T3 was 3.18, her reverse T3 was 22, and TSH was 3.71, yet her free T4 was good and has stayed the same. She does not have a thyroid. She says, I need you. She says, I use Synthroid and no T3. When I added some selenium, I started converting over from T4 to T3. Any thoughts on tyrosine? When And she said, when I take T3, T4 together, my T3 goes too high. So I have stayed with Synthroid only. I tried natural ones, but they didn't work well for me. Hey, Roberta. Yeah, great question. You know, first thoughts are just you said you do not have a thyroid if you heard that right. So you should have some regular ultrasounds to confirm that there's not been any residual tissue that's creeping back. That can happen. And in cases like that, I'm not sure why yours was taken out. Most common reason is thyroid cancer. In those cases, it's recommended to keep your TSH lower just to cut your recurrence risk, if nothing else. And we used to think that lower meant zero, 
Now we know it doesn't because that was actually harmful. Now we know it means like just under one for most people. So the scores that you mentioned are not safe, just even apart from your symptoms for that reason alone, if you did have thyroid cancer. So there's a lot of complex ties between the TSH, the free T3, free T4, reverse T3. And what it really boils down to is that all those other hormones, they are regulated by the body outside of the thyroid and outside of the brain. So when your TSH is not where it should be, they, they won't make sense. The TSH is like the first step. And if it's good, but the others are off, then there may be some other things to look at, but you can't correct the others when the TSH is off. So one quick thought, you mentioned the T3 being high uh, when you were taking it. Some people measure their levels after they've taken the dose. That can give you a false reading. It can make it look higher than it should. You know, more accurate reading is before you've taken a dose. But for, yeah, you didn't mention any symptoms, but you really should have your TSH lower just to cut risk, assuming your thyroid is out from thyroid cancer. So yeah, I hope that was helpful stuff. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Allen, for sharing that information. And she's ordered your book and she does ultrasound. So she added that comment. Good. Now, Glad to hear that. Yes. And Becky asked here, she said, my son is 13 years old and 70 pounds overweight. Can this metabolism reset work for him too? Hey, Becky, to be honest, we've not tested in pediatric populations, so no experience that way. If he's per his size, he may be closer to adult size and can be a consideration. You know, double check with his doctor, healthcare provider, as far as the, the details of that. It really is just whole foods. There's nothing too unusual and not, not extreme. So consider his activity levels and general overall health. But uh, that it really jumped out at me. I just wrote a long, detailed Facebook post a couple of days ago about my health journey and some chapters in it. And at that age, I was severely overweight as well. That second one is just turning around, like 12 is when I started turning it around. But I completely resonate with being an overweight adolescent boy, and it really was the worst. So if there's any steps that can help him, Dr. Quebec's work, my work, some combination, yeah, please, please do. And you may take a peek at dralanchristensen.com, my Facebook, if you just Google that. I wrote a long story about my various chapters of running throughout my life. And there was, I put pictures up when I was about his age and I was pretty heavy. This was just a few days ago. So I went really deep in my story and I put it up to make it a possible inspiration for someone. And I can't think of a more perfect fit than him. So he may find some enjoyment out of that and see that there, things can get better. And I think that's perfectly, perfectly timed. Like you've, if you've written it for her, Alan, I appreciate that. I want to let all our viewers know, you know, share this on your pages, share this live with your audience. You can share this and, and please keep your comments coming. I appreciate that so much. This is a discussion that doesn't get had very often. And it's certainly one that has just profound effects. So I want to just bring that, bring this issue of, of thyroid and Alan's work to, you know, the world and, and I'm fully supporting all he does. He's just been a brilliant colleague, a brilliant friend, and he knows this area like no one else. So I encourage y'all to dig in and please comment back, share with me what you find your aha moments. But sharing this on your pages and spreading this information makes it makes a difference. Like for Becky, for your son, I mean, I send out prayers and blessings. And I know that following these guidelines will support him. So please share back with me about that. Roberta asked, will your book cover cleaning the liver and supporting it? For sure, Roberta. Yeah, really good question. And that, and that is the focus of it. And the cool thing is that you know, I think about this as not really 
a lifestyle, but something you, you fix. You fix and you get better. My my bias is that if you're going out of your way to hang out with Dr. Kabeka, you, you're you're more knowledgeable than the average bear. I mean, you know a lot of good stuff, and you're probably doing 80, 90% of the things exactly as you should. You've been listening to Dr. Kabeka. You know what's, what's helpful and what's not. But if things, if you're not getting the results you should, it may not be that you need to go that last, you know, nth degree and do things totally perfectly. It may mean that your body is not internally regulating properly. So my thought is, this is a way your body can get better at regulating itself. And your 80, 90% efforts should be enough. You know, we all know people that do 60% efforts and seem to get good results from that. So that's the idea is getting it to where your efforts are amplified further. And when that's done, I give some general ideas for maintenance, but by and large, you know, go back to your previous good habits and listen to Dr. Kabeka, do what she says, and you can do well from that. So Alan, uh, talk about a day in the life of someone who is following your program. Then I want to hear about a day in your life. I always ask that of my questions, but I can imagine the eccentricity will be unicycling and, and everything. So I can't wait to hear that. But talk about a day in the life of someone now thinking, okay, well, what does it, what's it going to look like for me to do this? You know, there's three big components. There's, of course, the food. Then there's the sleep binges. I encourage a fair amount of sleep during this time frame. And then there's the micro workouts. So the sleep binges, there's a lot of data that your liver rebuilds its kindling, its glycogen during deeper stages of sleep. So you want to not skimp on that and even go out of your way to pay back your sleep debt. That's a big part of the program. I talk about logistics and tactics and how to go about that for those to whom it's hard. And the micro workouts, so during this time of repair, Imagine you're trying to balance your checkbook or balance your budget. You know, it's not time to buy a new house or a new car at that time. So you want less spending when you are resetting. And towards the interest of building up that kindling again, exercise is so awesome, but it does burn that kindling in the short term. But if you don't do anything, then your muscles get flabby and weak and they forget about you. So I've got these micro workouts structured by which your muscles stay engaged and active and, and activated but you're still rebuilding that kindling, that, that glycogen supply in the liver effectively. And then the food part, you know, I wanted to make that really easy and get good protein, low fuel. So I structured it around two shakes, you know, a shake for breakfast and lunch, and then a pretty reasonable, healthy dinner. And some people in their first few days, they find themselves just, you know, munchy or, or used to eating more food. So I made a whole lot of unlimited snack recipes. You know, you can bake up some really good ratatouille and, you know, all kinds of things you can do with vegetables and things that don't set it back. So yeah, shake, shake, meal, unlimited snacks, sleep binges, and micro workouts. That's the basic idea behind it. I love it. All right. Now share us a day in your life. <laughs> well, they vary. And if anyone reads the, the post, but if I tried to find a way to directly link to that, I, I don't know how to do that. But right now I'm, I've got a, a marathon on Saturday. Running has been my lifelong passion. I've been kept away from it quite a bit from injuries and various problems, you know, orthopedic issues. And Saturday, this is like the race of my life. I'm hoping to qualify for Boston if it goes well. And the last six months, I've been more fit and more injury-free than any time in the last my whole life. So I'm just super happy and thankful about that. So a day in the life right now, as far as this part of the whole training phase, is pretty cush. I'm in, I'm in taper. So I did a very casual run this morning. I did a bunch of stretching. I'll do nothing tomorrow. I'll do a really easy run the next day. So I'm on taper phase. Then I'm going to hit it pretty hard Saturday morning. <laughs> 
I love it. Bravo. Bravo for you and that, you know, you're hitting this goal and I'm excited. Please let us know. Come back and share with us, Alan. All right. Let our, let our audience know. I know your book's available everywhere books are sold. So tell us about that and how people can stay in touch with you. Sure. Just drchristensen.com is my main hub. C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-O-N. If you put in Dr. Christensen, you'll stumble across it. And in the book, anywhere books are available, if you are lucky enough to have a great independent local bookstore still, please give them some love if you can. We'd love to keep them around. (laughs) But yeah, anywhere books are available, you can find it. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom with us today, Alan. And thanks for our audience to listening and being interactive. I thank you guys so much. So again, share this, write your comments below and follow up with Dr. Alan as well. So thank you guys. Again, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Alan Christensen, for being a super good sport on our call and just so informative and giving. So as I mentioned, his book, The Metabolism Resets, coming out, and it's a good compliment to my book, The Hormone Fix. And if you've been struggling with diabetes and heart disease and thyroid disease for a long time, and you really feel in this metabolic stall, We always have to look back at the liver. Remember detox, something I always share with my clients and with all of you is that we need to detox every time the seasons change. So if you're in a sunny place all the time, just think every three three to four months is a good idea to run through a detox that supports the liver and use plenty of healthy intermittent fasting to give your body time to rest and and digest as well. So often with my clients, I give them the recommendation to intermittent fast and break that fast with my Mighty Maca Elixir. So the Mighty Maca Energy Elixir, Mighty Maca has over 30 superfoods that work together that support the liver and detoxification pathways from multiple pathways And that's a great way to break your fast. And again, supporting detoxification, supporting your liver as well. So the Mighty Maca Elixir, the energy elixir, is one to two scoops of Mighty Maca with four ounces of water and a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar and a squirt of lemon. So stir that up well, chug that down. It can be done during a fast or to break a fast. It's a great alkalinizer and support for your liver as you are healing your liver constantly and supporting it with all the chemical exposures that we have. So I thank you for listening today and I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And please share this information and like us on iTunes. Please give us a rating. And I look forward to that. That helps us so much. Get this information in front of more people. See you next time.